When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be afraid. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb. A terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Thus ends the word. Thanks be to God. I like that little dig right there at the very end. Say to the disciples, and Peter. Mark had it in. What can I say? Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Alleluia. Amen. Life's like a movie. Write your own ending. This is it. This is the end of the Gospel of Mark. 16, 8, that's it. Some later authors occasionally tried to stick something else on the end to make it make a little bit more sense, to make it a little more comfortable, but the oldest scriptures we have suggest that the Gospel ends right there. The word afraid, often translated terrified. I wonder, in some ways, if Mark just preempted that line from the Muppet movie that I quoted. Because that sudden ending, that moment where it just, you, you turn the page looking for more, that ending puts the story in our hands. There's a big difference between a book of history, even a book of nonfiction, just, you know, and a gospel, like Mark's, like Luke's, like any of them. Because where we can put down a book of history and let it be all by itself, the gospel doesn't allow us to keep it at arm's length. The gospel asks something of us in return. Because this isn't just the narration of what the disciples did. This is the mirror that is held up to us as we face our own discipleship. And this ending asks very, very clearly how we ourselves are going to complete the narrative. So what do we know? We know that Jesus 
went out preaching the kingdom of God all over Galilee, all over Judea, in ways that made some of the powerful people around him more than a little bit uncomfortable. Because the message that Jesus was preaching and teaching threatened the very powers of the world on which they had built their wealth, their status, their very sense of identity. And so those who had power in the world decided that they needed to kill Jesus for saying all of these terribly, terribly dangerous things. And those who had power in the world gained the complicity of those who might have been followers of Jesus, but who felt betrayed because he didn't end up being who they thought he was going to be. He wasn't the Messiah they were looking for. We know that Jesus allowed the crucifixion to play out over the course of the week that he was in Jerusalem. Not, of course, because God requires a blood sacrifice and terms of atonement. Please get that idea out of your heads. But because what happened to Jesus in that moment holds up a mirror that he hoped would enable us to see the sinfulness of human systems, the idolatry of power that humanity has long held, the willingness to kill rather than risking ourselves for something that might change. And then we get to the very, very end of the gospel. We get to today's lesson where we find out that all of the ideas that the people of power in this world had, none of it worked. We all thought it was going to. Gotta admit that one. But there's this messenger sitting in this empty tomb. And we find out that the powers of this world are not the strongest powers. That those who thought that they had already won are about to find out that they didn't. Write your own ending. And I know we're going to want to write an ending in which we march in triumph back into Jerusalem where we recreate that whole Palm Sunday thing with banners and cloaks and palms and all of that good stuff and people shouting. We want to write an ending in which we wouldn't fear to wake everyone in the entire city of Jerusalem at dawn and boast that we were right in the first place, that they hadn't had the final word. We want to write an ending in which we have the courage to stand up and face all of the people who had been outside of Pilate's palace that week shouting crucify. We want to write an ending in which we know that we can do what is right because God is on our side. In which we do better than the women who fled in fear or than the men who, according to all of the other gospel accounts, either remained in hiding or went back to doing what they'd done in the first place like none of this had ever happened. We want to write an ending in which we face the wrath of those who are to us just characters in a story or names from Jesus Christ Superstar. 
But the end of this Gospel of Mark is not just encouraging us to put ourselves into a 2,000-year-old story and pretend that we know how we would have acted 2,000 years ago. The ending that we are encouraged to write is the ending of the ongoing narrative of power, of state-sponsored death, and of our complicity when the victim doesn't meet our idea of what a hero is supposed to look like. The ending of the Gospel of Mark allows us to put ourselves in the ongoing possibilities of resurrection. The voices that insist that death is not the end, is not the greatest power, is not the winning move. This abrupt ending holds up a mirror to us, to show us where we really stand right now in this story. It asks us to see how far we'll go to maintain the world as it is and as we know it. Whether we are going to justify the violence that is done to those who question our comfort or those who are not the heroes that we'd wanted them to be. This abrupt ending holds up a mirror to us and asks us to take a good, long, hard look at how we respond to the presence of the Incarnation now. How we respond to the death of the body of Christ now. And how we will react in the face of resurrection now. Write your own ending now. Do not write your own ending to the tale of crucifixion that happened 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem but to the modern, ongoing tale, to the current crucifixion of humanity in official holding cells at our southern border or even in the next town over, the modern, state-sponsored dehumanization and violence against the least of these neighbors of ours, or to the crucifixion of humanity codified recently in laws that criminalize trans health care and marginalize already vulnerable youth in the form of laws that codify the opinions of those who feel betrayed by a world that is more complex than they want it to be, and in the form of bills passed by those who wield the power of death in order to keep the world as they like it. Write your own ending to the narrative of lynchings carried out the deaths of brown men who were deemed too dangerous to live by those who wield authority. And in the name of our governments, it's a very, very old story because I'm pretty sure we've heard parts and pieces of it over the course of the last week in both our scripture and our newspaper. Write your own endings to the narrative of lynchings as a demonstration of power as a warning to those who would question the systems because those in power believe that they can get the people to shout crucify. To shout crucify for Jesus who questioned the power of the religious authorities and their complicity with the world. Or to shout crucify for George Floyd who used a counterfeit bill, whose toxicology report wasn't clean, and who looks like all of the people whom we've been told for centuries are animals are dangerous, are unpredictable, are violent, are needing to be put in their place. 
And I know that there are those who will be offended, who will be concerned by the comparison between George Floyd and Jesus, because we want Jesus to be human, but still perfect, but still the perfect victim. We don't want to question that. But if we take seriously the promises of the incarnation, the importance that God places on bodies, such that God's own self took on flesh, such that we all participate in one body in Christ, then how do we not see the parallels between the death by asphyxiation of George Floyd and the ancient death by asphyxiation that we have acknowledged this weekend? For both leave the body of our common faith crucified in the violence of death and in the violence of wondering if it wasn't maybe justified to kill for the sake of law and order, for the sake of maintaining a status quo that has never done us any harm. Because if the crucifixion and the resurrection demonstrate the care that our God gives to bodies, real, messy, human, fleshy bodies, that we do not ever care for in this world, and which we consider disposable and mere tools to demonstrate our power, then the case of George Floyd is one in which we must hear the evangelist asking us how we will write the ending. When we stand in the tomb and hear that death cannot overcome justice, hate cannot stamp out God's grace, when we see the inbreaking of the kingdom in the peace that makes manifest the violence of the world, what will we do? How will we end the story? What will we do before those who wield death as though it meant nothing? What will we do when we come face to face with the resurrection? Because the ending of Mark's gospel does not simply ask us to fill in a totally blank page. It does not ask us to step off of a cliff and into an unknown narrative abyss. Mark tells us that the women ran, afraid, terrified. And those words are used a lot in Mark. That gospel that Bible students know as the stupid disciple or the fearful disciple gospel. Truly, that's really how we talk about it. Because every time that the disciples in Mark are terrified, are afraid, are fearful, whether it's on the boat as the waves rise and the storms rage in the Sea of Galilee, whether it's on another boat as they behold him actually walking towards them somehow in the middle of the sea, whether it's on the mountain as divinity surrounds them and they cannot make sense of what they are seeing, every single time that the disciples are terrified, Jesus is there. And so Mark's gospel, Mark's abrupt ending gospel, invites us not only to write our own endings, but to remember how it has ended so many times in the past. Mark's abrupt gospel asks us to consider that what we do next is in fact up to us, but that we do not do it alone. What we do in the face of violence, in the face of the powers of death wielded against undocumented folk 
or trans folk, or black folk, or folks with substance use or mental health disorders. What we do when we insist to the powers of this world that death will not win. That is up to us. And we might well do it terrified. Realistically, we probably should. But we do not do it alone. For the story of Easter is not about how God needs blood to forgive all of our little mishaps. It's a story about how humans love power more than we love each other a lot of the time. It's a story about how humans would rather kill God than to create a kingdom in which God lives and moves among us. And the promise of Easter is that God inhabits all of the bodies that are crucified on the regular in this world. The promise of Easter is that God shows up when our fears make us feel abandoned. And the promise of Easter is that God opens before us the ways of life, the realm of love, the belovedness of an embodied creation in which God still chooses to dwell. Life's like a movie. Write your own ending. Life's like a gospel. Write your own ending because this is not just a tale that we read. It is the story of our very lives and the grace and the justice and the mercy and the kingdom that no power in this world can keep from us because God is within us and God is with us and Christ is risen. And the dawn of the world is waiting to see what we will do next. Thanks be to God. Alleluia. Amen.